Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. With May and our latest open submissions period a couple of weeks on the horizon yet, I don't have too much to share with you tonight. As I mentioned last week, we've got some signed copies of Ai Jiyong's debut novel, Ling Huen, that are on their way to me right now. Once they arrive, I'll share all the details on how you can enter to win your copy so keep your eyes peeled for that. I'd also like to extend our deepest, darkest thanks this week to Schmel C. Malov, the newest patron to descend into the darkness with us. Thank you so much, Schmel. It's the support of twisted fans like you that not only keeps the cobwebbed lights on, but makes this all so worthwhile. If you'd like to become a patron and count yourself among the cursed souls who keep this frightful raft afloat, head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify. We always love adding new victims, I mean supporters, to our roster. And you'll get some sweet, sweet perks if you do, too. In fact, if you were a patron, you could be listening to this episode entirely ad-free right now. Not a bad deal, if I do say so myself. But however you came to be here tonight, I am so very glad that you are. We have three tales to seep into your brain this week. So without further ado, let's dive in. Our first story for the evening 
comes from Jacob Stephen Moore. Don't buy the hype. Jacob Stephen Moore was not raised by wolves. Feral children are capable of many things, but weaving wild words into flesh and fantasy isn't one of them. Lucky us. If it were, we'd all be speaking wolf. Moore's work has previously appeared in Nightmare Sky, Summer Bludgeon, and Night Terrors Volume 20. He lives in Columbus, Ohio. Children of the Night, join me for Jacob Stephen Moore's The Dear Darling Things, a Tales to Terrify original. A piece of the greater world fell glittering. She watched it plummet slowly, rotating through meager strata of atmosphere and fine half-weightless grit towards her beaming face. She felt the blasting heat from stabilizing thrusters atomizing the rock and rubble beneath their jets. Then... An eternity later, there was glorious contact. The lander presented a ticklish weight. Four broad titanium alloy feet pushed into her dust, slipped sideways a few meters, then lay still. Above, the heavens roved in endless twinkling arcs, and the world poured down its blue-green splendor. Then came the first great wonder. The tiny craft disgorged something. A ramp descended tongue-like from the curved metal belly, releasing down its sloping length a tiny, timid mass. An offering. No, it was much more than that. A white biped, like a Igsthoth, in drastic miniature, though closer in stature to the dark-dwelling Grawl Lukulu. It had stiff, bulky limbs, a bulbous head, and a gold-curved plate for a face. Fragile steps brought it nearer and nearer to communion. Emotions stirred deep. She had been wrong. Here was the world itself, an emissary piece broken off from the shimmering hole, a curious pseudopod extended in exploratory greeting. How thrilling! She struggled to remain tranquil, to quell a shiver of pleasure that might disturb her visitor and patience met a reward. In time, a second clumsy morsel joined the first. Volcanic hearts screamed with elation. 
It was happening. It was happening at last. These teasing twin pressures bounded childlike with skidding steps, exploring, exploring her. She marvelled. She had not expected the world to be so young, so unsophisticated. But it was no matter. Contact was pleasure. Contact was bliss. New, sudden energies burned the atmosphere, blazing out from crude antennae within the guts of the landing craft. A greeting? It was not. It was an outgoing message, a sonic broadcast, vibrations intended for the greater whole. She pressed outwards, eagerly, adjusting to the frequency of the tremors. One giant leap for mankind. Mankind. This word did not stir memory. Nor did the others. But this was no matter either. They were the world's words. The world could keep its secrets a while longer. The two white pseudopods returned momentarily to the landing craft. Soon there was a thrum of great activity across her surface. A smaller terrestrial vehicle was deployed and assembled piece by piece. With a throbbing motor and fatted tyres that sent up whirligig storms of pale grit beneath their grinding weight. They explored a swath of her panorama in this fashion. All the while the buzz of their vibratory signal made her giddy, absorbing it in secret. They accepted her gifts, samplings of crumbling secretions from her surface. Though they did not appear to notice her invitations towards further exploration. And they made her a present as well. A kind of banner affixed inside her, atop a ferrous structure, its colours resplendent against her great desolation. She could hear under the calm of their voices the starfire burn of pleasure in their blood. It was mixed with fear, with uncertainty, cocktailed into a delectable mixture she could lap at, drink up in great mouthfuls, and all the while her third visitor circled in another still larger vessel, remaining in constant ecstatic communication with the two below. It was perfect. A moment flash frozen as though it might extend forever, and surely it would. Surely bliss like this was fated to remain and remain and remain. But horror, aching dismay, heart-racking agony. A blur of chittering signals passed between her two pieces of world, and their surface-bound transport began to unassemble. These pieces were fed back into the lander, followed by the shambling bipeds. The ramp's tongue slid back between its jaws and disappeared. They'd left their gift sticking resolutely into her, the banner unfurled but hanging motionless. They were going to leave her. Yes. The vibrations began a solemn, rhythmic countdown and the thrusters hummed. She felt their heat, taking no comfort from it now. 
How was this possible? How was this permitted? Did they not realize there was yet so much more of her? Were they so incurious or merely heartless, indifferent to her pain? Did they not smell her heart-sickened pheromones or the cosmic spatter of her tears? No, surely it could not be so. The world would not send itself across so great an expanse for such a communion, only to deny her this last feast of pleasure. It was not possible. And yet... What if they did depart her? What then? What could she do? In the past, the world's glamour had seemed quite near at times, but in her hearts, she knew it was not truly so. And she could only expand herself so far, come so close. The greater world above her had deftly ignored her invitations, demurred from her flirtations and summons for so very long. Who could reckon when she might receive an answer like this again? Could she remain as she was for yet another age, coquettishly angling her face to catch the starlight, posturing and preening for a world she now knew cared nothing for her at all? No, she would not do it, and the decision once made was easily acted upon. The lander's thrusters had blacked the surface which opened beneath it. A long, yawning crack. She extended herself through it, the grasping secret parts of herself, wrapping tight around the tiny craft and drawing it deep and deeper within herself. She could feel the hum of the world's displeasure, but she hardened her heart against it. This was necessary. This was righteous. They would forgive her this trespass, they must. They would understand. She would make them understand. How she had adored them. How she had longed for them. A creak, then a wrenching, tearing noise. Clumsy, clumsy. The chassis had come apart in her eager, ungentle grip. The pseudopods, the pieces of pieces of her beloved, tumbled loose in the chasm of her. But there was no terror, no buzz on the airwaves, no siren alarm, no communication passed between these visitors and their companion above, still in constant clocking orbit. She had sealed herself. She had closed up like a mouth. And now she had them. Let more come to retrieve them, more emissary parts of the world whole. Surely this could be spared. They could parlay and take communion from each other. In the meantime, now her innermost self shifted and flexed. They became part of her, with her. They would know her secrets now. She would teach them. There was time for that. She pondered the last few words that had sparkled from the lander's apparatus. And I'd like to thank you very much. Not meant for her. But she would hear those words again.
all for her very own. They would thank her. When at last they understood her love, the ponderous enormity of it. My dears, my dears, my darlings. She would wait for that. She could wait forever. That was Jacob Stephen Moore's The Dear Darling Things, as read by Alexandra Elroy. Alexandra is a bilingual voice actress and writer who lurks by the shallow polders of the Netherlands, waiting for her next bout of inspiration. She loves everything to do with stories, especially creative and playful horror. Her favorite voices to do are witches, goblins, and crazy computers. Things she brags about are her children, her stories, her Japanese BA, and her podcast on UK culture, One Cup of Perfect Tea. Thank you, Alexandra. Our second tale tonight comes from Lindsay Kroll. Lindsay is a Scottish author of speculative and strange fiction with over 50 publications, including in Dark Matter magazine, Orion's Belt, and Flame Tree Press. She's a Scottish Book Trust New Writers Awardee, British Fantasy Award finalist, and a Ladies of Horror Fiction Writers Grant recipient. Her novelette, Have You Decided on Your Question, is published in April 2023 with Shortwave Publishing. Find her on Twitter at WriterLinds or via her website, lindsaycroll.co.uk. Links are in the show notes. Listen with me, children of the night, to Lindsay Kroll's I Never Wanted a Rose Garden, a Tales to Terrify original. Last night wasn't an accident. It happened as I was standing in the garden looking out across his flower bed, the crumbling orchard walls behind me, the wind chime trilling its sinister tune that haunted my dreams. Upon seeing the thick stems of the roses taunting me with their stupid prickly little thorns and their ostentatious petals that he had looked after oh so tenderly, there was nothing to do but to take the secateurs and cut them off, one by one, stem by stem. After, I gathered them in a pile and plucked off every thorn, then every petal. The petals I trampled over and over until the blood-red mulch seeped into his perfect lawn. The thorns I've placed around the house, under the rugs, 
inside pillowcases, stitched into the inner lining of his favorite slippers. I hope it hurts as they are discovered. They are sharp enough to pockmark flesh, rip it to pieces until it seeps with blood, infection, and rot. It would be enough to drive one to madness, tiptoeing around the house, fearful of where the next thorn might be, never certain whether or not there are still more left to be found. It doesn't feel very nice, does it? Being betrayed in such a way by the very thing you love more than anything else? And he loved those roses. Sometimes I thought he loved them more than me. I always hated them, ever since we moved here. Since he took me to this empty place with its decaying walls and stairs torn apart by woodworm and rot, and a chill that could never be chased away, no matter how much I tried with thick, heavy curtains to keep the outside contained. The cold still crept in through the gaps in the windows and walls, while draughts blew up from the damaged floorboards. He never had time for the house, to make it better, to make it a place we could live together as a family, or maybe one day more than just he and I. But he had time to look after those godforsaken roses in his godforsaken garden. He may as well have been haunting the house for all the attention he gave me inside it. Of course, he'll probably never find the thorns and my feet are the ones that are red and bleeding now. Still, I am angry with him. I am angry that he left me all alone here, in this rotting house, with only his beloved roses as company. And now I have destroyed those too. It's only that every time I looked out one of our rattling windows— and saw their extravagant bloom in the bright sunlight, I thought of him. That when they swayed in rhythm with the wind, and not a single petal fell, as steadfast as they were beautiful, I thought about how stubborn he was in life. How stubborn he seems to be in death. I keep hoping his ghost might come back and haunt these walls. Ghosts ought to be attracted to cold and empty places such as this. I want him to see what I have done to the garden, then find the thorns beneath his spectral feet. Can ghosts bleed? Perhaps it depends upon their manner of death. When I was a child, I saw a ghost in my mother's flower bed in the middle of the day, the sun shining down upon the pale form, eyes devoid of life, blood seeping down skeletal arms, soaking into the soil and turning the daisies crimson. Of course, she was not really a ghost. She was her, my mother. And to this day, I think of her body lying at my feet every time I step into the daylight, which is seldom enough that my skin has become as pallid and gray as hers was in death. I keep waiting for him to return, keep waiting for the softness of his breath on the back of my neck.
for the cool touch of his lips on my cheeks. I wait to hear his voice telling me to go outside, to enjoy the sunshine, to look at his flowers. But all I can hear now are the echo of the last words he said to me as he lay at the bottom of the staircase. His legs bent where he'd fallen through one of the rotten wooden planks. My rose, my love, help me. That wasn't an accident either. Though it doesn't mean I planned it. I didn't intend to lose my temper, to push him. I certainly didn't mean for it to be his end. It's just, he was talking about the roses again and going on and on about how I needed to leave the house to get some fresh air. He told me to come out into the garden and to see the flowers in bloom. And I had said to him only the night before, if you mention those damned roses one more time, I warned him, and he didn't listen. Why did he never listen to me? So I suppose this all to say, I am sorry for what happened. I wish he would return, but perhaps this new loneliness is my penance, the thorns, my curse. Everything has become so dilapidated and dull since he left. And now, as I look outside from my bedroom window, the garden is as gloomy as the house inside. I think on the words he used to say to me on summer mornings when I would refuse to leave the confines of the house. My rose, come to the garden. It's beautiful in the daylight. If you stay inside, you'll only catch a death. That was Lindsay Kroll's I Never Wanted a Rose Garden, as read by S.L. Albert. S.L. Albert is a voiceover artist and audiobook narrator who loves horror, fantasy, and all things that go bump in the night. Hear more at slalbert.com or say hi on Twitter at sla underscore audio. Thank you, S.L. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Our final tale this evening comes from Mike Thorne. Mike Thorne is the author of Shelter for the Damned, Darkest Hours, and Peel Back and See. His fiction has appeared in numerous magazines, anthologies, and podcasts, including Vastarian, Dark Moon Digest, The No Sleep Podcast, and Tales to Terrify. His essays and articles have been published in American Twilight, the cinema of Toby Hooper, Beyond Empowertainment, Exploring Feminist Horror, the film stage, and elsewhere. Connect with him on Twitter at MikeThornWrites and visit his website, MikeThornWrites.com. Lend me your ears, children of the night, for Mike Thorne's Erosion, a Tales to Terrify original. When did you download the app? Well, right, yes, of course, Kayla says. Let me rephrase. When was erosion downloaded to your phone? I look past her at the one-way mirrored wall. My reflection is all oil-stranded hair and swollen eyes and droopy mouth. This is therapy for monsters. But Kayla is attentive and empathetic, and somewhere in my brain I harness the belief that maybe I can escape. My focus drowns in the reminiscence of that weird and luminous redness, and my mouth feels dry when I tell her. It appeared three weeks ago. Three weeks comprised a freewheeling decline. Only three weeks. Impossibly fast, but true. Paranoia and disorientation so intense, they've nearly unsown the foundations of my consciousness. Time itself unstuck. My eyes tingling with sleep deprivation. Too many shifts missed, my manager calling to say, Sorry, William, real sorry, but we can't keep you. My girlfriend admitting that although she wants to be there for me, this is a lot. Let's just take a break. And my apartment is a mess. There's some money in my savings account, but not much. I've taken up drinking again. Whiskey and beer and far too much coffee, caffeine pills, Adderall when I can get it, melatonin and benzos to level it out. All the while the erosion vortex drawing me into something that cannot be rightfully described as a surface. Kayla uses her pen to point at the purple sore on my left inner forearm. She gives me her soft counselor tone when she asks, And when did the marks start showing up? Hard to say. I wince and slouch. My guts clench. Erosion's somatic effect is a shifting continuum of pain. Things start to get hazy after the first day or two. 
That's not uncommon for erosion users. Kayla uncrosses and crosses her legs. Rather, erosion victims. This is not your fault, William. You didn't choose to have this happen. Even compared to other addictive substances or behaviors, erosion seems to have a remarkable hold on its users, victims, dorsolateral prefrontal and orbital frontal cortexes. I've stopped reading. I've stopped writing. I no longer see my family and friends. I've lost my perfectly agreeable communications job, which afforded me the financial stability to continue working on the novel, a shapeless and permanently unfinished jumble. When my manager called to fire me, I asked if this was legal, to let someone go on grounds of what ultimately amounted to struggles with addiction, and he reminded me that I was a contract employee on probation, saying everything in such an amicable tone that the brutality didn't set in until hours later. And the break, my partner suggested, is now looking less and less like something temporary, made clear by the dwindling frequency of her text messages and calls. I am alone. I want answers, not platitudes. Right. Okay. I say. But how do I stop it? That's what we're working on, William, and I know how incredibly frustrated you must feel. I press my palms against my gut, as if mere pressure might squelch the agony. It feels like a little meat hook is dragging along my muscle tissue, just beneath my skin, and I can't stop it from moving across my whole body. I understand you're in a great deal of physical pain and that you're experiencing enormous amounts of emotional and psychological distress. For some patients encountering erosion vortex interference, we recommend low THC cannabis and daily ibuprofen intake until the application is removed. I know she's just doing her job, but I've lost the cognitive fortitude for niceties. Weed and Advil? I clench my teeth. Who's doing this to me? And how do I remove it? There are teams of researchers looking into erosion. Thankfully, our provincial government has finally greenlit the tracking software we need to reach out to folks and get them the help they need. And that's the main thing, William, that we're here for you when you need us. Here for me? Then why don't you carve this parasite from my body before it pulls me in again? Kayla's eyes wander over my head for a second. She's probably hoping I won't notice her checking the time, but I do and my heart rate seems to accelerate almost instantly, as if an animal of prey has just sprung into the room. She closes her eyes, like she's recentering, and she is about to recommend an app for meditation and breathing exercises, but she catches herself and notes that smartphone apps are probably triggers in cases like mine. That is what I am, one case among many, the body anguishing while the mind wants more. I scratch the mottled flesh of my arm as I cross the street from the counseling center. Kayla provided me with a folder full of resource contacts, plenty of potential voices I can ring up to tell me they understand. They're here for me. They know this must be difficult. A woman moves through the crosswalk in my direction, and I raise my glance from under my hood to see if I'll recognize her as one of the eroded. It's not usually visible at first. It's just something in the plodding movements, posture that seems somehow melted, a gazing without gazing. She walks quickly, eyes on her phone, and I drop my stare to the ground, self-conscious. On the train station platform, I see a rolling headline on the news monitor. Canadian Center for Cybersecurity continues efforts to trace the original location of dangerous app erosion. 
Below the headline is a helpline number for those who've been afflicted. My flesh itches. Discomfort clenches my muscles. I suddenly feel nostalgic for the pre-smartphone days, when I read books while waiting for trains. And then I'm doom-scrolling on Twitter, looking for answers or at the very least something abstractly like commiseration. On the train I see a woman, all weather-ravaged denim and scarred flesh, fingernails raking wrists and murmuring and swaying in her seat, like she's having unholy visions, and I think it's either methamphetamine or erosion. No other possible explanation. And I try to count my breaths like Kayla told me last week. Four seconds in. Four seconds held. Four seconds out. Repeat. A breath square. Because I don't want to be thinking about erosion. I don't want to will it back into existence. Or maybe I do. Maybe the only way to escape is to submit. I cross the apartment to the kitchen. And I vaguely think too early for the hard stuff, maybe a beer. And then I pour several fingers of Maker's Mark into a pint glass, which I promptly swallow. I try to imagine where and how these centers in pursuit of erosion operate, acronyms floating through my quasi-conscious brain. CMHA, Cyber Center, CDC, CCOHS. And I think, these people, these organizations, they're just monkeys in suits saying the right things, trying to talk us all off the ledge. And I start reading an article on my phone. What do we know about erosion? Here's what experts are telling us. My hungry eyes scanning the lines for answers. We are learning a lot about the ways that smartphone applications activate what we know as the ludic loop, the addictive cycle that keeps us returning to our screens so often throughout the day, even despite our better judgment says Dr. Bridget Martin, national CEO of the Canadian Mental Health Association, CMHA. Erosion lacks two of the typical characteristics we see in habit-forming applications, fast feedback and random reward, but it preys powerfully on its user's solitude. Blah, blah, blah. And then it starts. Radical synesthesia, hearing the olfactory, all senses collapsing into a chaotic whirl. An electric presence that expands the space. Something, something amygdala, the experts say. And the glass drops out of my hand. White socks soaked in corn liquor. And I'm just staring at my phone because that's what erosion decrees. And I'm too small and fallible to resist. Exit reality. Enter the totality. The eye that I am goes blurry in something that I might describe as the middle. And then spreads. The color swirls and liquefies into a glowing wash of red, a brilliant shifting and pulsing like the eye that I am is a photon and neon sign. But the neon sign is the sum of everything. A universe, the illusion of motion, but really it's just permanent stasis. And there's something there on the horizon. Always out of reach, but the eye that I am wants it with fierce pre-human intensity. A smudge of not red with an almost humanoid shape. Wings fanning the imprint of something like a body. Does it have eyes? Too far away to tell. The eye that I am knows that if it reaches this specter, this entity, this saintly aberration, then the eye that I am will reach what, no knowledge, no prediction, only pure libidinal drive and motion. What do we call this? We say the word virtual. We say the word numinous. We say the word transcendent. But actually the object is an anchor. A gravity, a centering, 
If the I that I am can only just reach it, then the totality will become one with reality. This is what we need, an exit from our apocalypse. Even in here, there's something like knowledge of rising sea levels and blazing rainforests and mass extinctions and eroding coral reefs and oceans teeming with plastic. Please save me, angel. This is more than religion. This is the manifestation of what we call the soul, and my eyes would pour tears if they still existed. No, wait, they're still here. I'm seeing. So sick. So much briefer this time. Fuck. That's the floor rushing up at me. Nose mashing on the whiskey-spattered tiles. A spritz of blood. And the pain is back. God. I gurgle. Help. I say. Fuck. You consider that you're possibly dreaming, but the bundle of pain in the center of your face says otherwise. First, you register the anguish roiling inside your body, a persistent sense of raking through your skin, into your muscles and your skeleton, melting your marrow down to liquid. Then, rotating your throbbing head for a slow 360 scan, you discover that these four walls are made of unbroken concrete, and when you drop your feet down from the cot, cot, not bed, you discover that the floor, too, is cold cement. And you are not I any longer, because this most recent descent into erosion was stronger than the rest, and somehow your consciousness hovers on the outskirts of your body, like a membrane, that which you understand to be your, my, mind, refusing to distill itself down into something that lives inside your twinging skull. When two hazmat-suited figures enter the room, one suit white and the other yellow, seeming to materialize through the unending solidity of the wall adjacent to your cot, you try to pose a question, but your mouth hangs slack and useless, saliva pooling below your tongue and trickling in rivulets down your chin. You want to ask, where am I? Although something primordial whispers that your consciousness is no longer protected by physical borders, and so the question develops an unintended element of abstraction. Your arms curl against your abdomen as the hazmat people grab you with gloved hands and tilt you onto your side. A needle pricks through the immaterial form of that which you called I, but which now hovers uneasily on the outskirts of your skin, and your body goes rigid. Your cheeks are wet with drool and your eyes are beaded with tears when a third figure enters the space, and you see that it's Kayla's face swimming behind the windowed mask. She says, Yeah, that's him. I had the sense that his next trip would be his last. Yellow Hazmat, presumably male, says, Family? Friends? No, Kayla says. It seems that he lost all of his primary contacts as a result of erosion side effects. Sad says White Hazmat, also presumably male. Well, we're learning, Kayla says. What a virus, Yellow Hazmat says. It's just... Yeah, White Hazmat interjects. Kayla says, Yeah, well... So sad, White Hazmat nearly whispers. And though you badly want to decode the meaning of this conversation, to ascertain the roles these individuals play in your downfall, you're too dissociated and disoriented, your senses crawling along the invisible layer encasing your prostrate form. Kayla pulls down a giant screen that covers the wall facing you. The hazmats dip out of the room and presently re-enter, rolling a digital projector on a wheeled cart. 
They connect an iPad to the device and hunch over as they bolt for the exit, careful to duck under the projected image. They're sending you back, eroding you. You intuit this. They've created something, or maybe they've found something, and now they're playing out its potential in sanctioned secrecy. Soon, the screen is awash in the ineffable, and you become I again, mind sliding back into body as erosion synthetic trip takes hold, and the I that you were is closer to the winged thing this time. Only now that you're I'm closer, it looks less like an angel than a moth. Its long stomach visibly fuzzed with gray, its arms connected to wings whose patterns summon the word Lepidoptera, black circles inside white circles, like extra eyes, and the red is now so hot and so full that it creates the sense of an unscratchable itch on the outskirts of my flesh, and you are pulling into that infinitely burning scarlet vortex while also floating to the thing that I called an angel. But as you get closer, I can see the dumbly hungry eyes bulging from its gray face, and the gaping mouth reveals teeth like needles, and somehow I can smell it screaming. And if you could apply a word to this stench, you might call it burnt, and I am distending, and oh so itchy. This is where it takes us. They will first try to contain it, and then they will try to downplay it, and finally they will try to escape. But this is larger than flimsy mortal capacities. This is permanently woven into the network that we have appended to ourselves, and you think that actually this burning and this captive are on the inside, while the physical was always already on the outside. Something you observe from a vantage too large to comprehend. And so I say, God. I say, heaven. I say, hell. And there is nothing like an end or a beginning in here. So as you inhabit the maddening itch and pull between two poles, you hear the moth angel's teeth and see the sound of its fluttering wings, and it embraces part of me while the other part drags out into the crimson beyond. And it's all a strobe of I, you, I, you, I, you. And then it's red, and then gray, and then black, and then no color, no sound, no taste, no sight. And yes, you say, yes, I will see. That was Mike Thorne's Erosion, as read by Jesse Holt. Little is known about Jesse Holt though rumors have circulated that he was found frozen within a 20,000-year-old ice formation during an Arctic oil-drilling expedition. This, of course, is purely speculation, as the official records state that the entire staff of the camp perished in what was described at the time as the most savage polar bear attack in history, judging by the mutilated and partially consumed corpses that littered the snow. Strangely, no bear tracks were found. Today, Jesse is a voice actor and tour guide with a passion for travel, and he's always happy to meet new victims, friends. You can find him on Twitter at Jesse Holt Voice or on his website at jesseholtvoice.com. Thank you, Jesse. Well, Children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell, for now. 
Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, Kathy Robinson, Lessel Baxter, Orion D. Higra, and Paul Belcher, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher, Podchaser, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs that's always growing. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we cut the frayed strands of your sanity with more Tales to Terrify. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.